The Brooklyn Nets survive at home at the Barclays Center, just narrowly beating out the Utah Jazz after what should have been a blowout. We break down the reasons the Nets were able to get this win late, the success they had early, and what it means for the standings heading down the stretch in the Eastern Conference. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am, of course, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down not only your Nets, but also the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast, your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. And if Doug Norrie was here, he would still be the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings. From DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks will give first-time users a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code all caps locked on. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on and friends. Not exactly the way you draw up a Sunday afternoon game in terms of how it finished and being far closer, uh, much more of a nail-biter than it needed to be for the Brooklyn Nets against the Utah Jazz at home. A 111-110 finish, which came <laughs> on a Kelly Olynyk last-second look there after a Seth Curry miss at the free-throw line. We start where this game ended in the fourth quarter. You have Jock Vaughn making the decision to basically empty out his bench. All the starters are off in the fourth quarter. And slowly but surely, the Utah Jazz chip away. It was, you know, 20-point lead in and around that area throughout much of the second half. And they dragged that down to 13. So at about the eight, eight-and-a-half-minute mark, Jock Vaughn calls all the starters back in, makes a five-man swap, and they balloon that lead right back up to 19 points. But from there... Utah, again, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away until finally it got to the point where it came down to late fouls, free throw shooting contest, and frankly, a a contest that the Brooklyn Nets were struggling to win at. Spencer Dimity misses one of two late. Dorian Finney-Smith is at the line there as well. You also have Seth Curry missing that last one when they're up just one point, and that leaves five and a half seconds. Thankfully, it's Kelly Olynyk that has the ball in his hands. Not enough time, no timeouts left for Utah, so they really can't afford to get anything substantial. It's just going to be move with that ball for the Brooklyn Nets, try not to foul, not to foul excuse me, and hopefully have that one be off the mark, which it was. So, in the grand scheme of things, we'll look back at this as being a W, and we'll also look back at three and a half quarters of this game and and realize how successful the Brooklyn Nets were for big stretches of this matchup. However, in the fourth quarter, one of the big reasons, once the starters were back in the game, it was obvious that when Spencer Dinwiddie had the ball coming up the court, they weren't just allowing them to get into the switches and leaving ISO defensive assignments for Utah. They were flashing the double team at him, forcing Spencer Dinwiddie to get the ball out of his hands. And it's ironic because one of the key sequences there that I thought, I think about the three-minute mark, that I thought maybe was going to be the capper. It gave the Nets the five-point lead. Spencer Dinwiddie comes up, 
He works his way uh, through the double team, gets over to the right side, kicks it back to the top of the key to Royce O'Neal. That quick secondary pass over to Mikhail Bridges. And as I believe it's marking and flashes up to the top of the key, it opens up the lane for Mikhail Bridges to get downhill and attack at the basket. And because the Nets won this game, we'll talk about some of the other things that I thought that they were successful at. But, you know, a game like this is a little bit frustrating in terms of how close it gets in the end. And once we look back at the end of the season, it's not going to matter. And we'll talk about what this means in the standings as well. But one of the reasons that this game is particularly frustrating is it's one where you were checking certain boxes that you'd be happy by the end of it had you won in blowout fashion. And what I mean by that is the Brooklyn Nets were just 9 of 32 from beyond the arc. So this is a team that we've said since the deadline has really been dependent on three-point shooting. Doug highlighted their top, I think, uh, top six in terms of three-point attempts over that stretch, but they're among some of the worst when it comes to converting those three-point attempts, right? So consistency has been a problem for them. and But in a game where you were able to do other things, which for three quarters, a little bit more, was about the defensive side of the ball and the things you did successfully to disrupt the Utah Jazz. But this, you know, listen, Utah has had a surprisingly better season than we anticipated. That's true. But when you come into a game where you don't have Colin Sexton for the Utah Jazz, um, you also didn't have Jordan Clarkson in this game. And then on top of which, inside of this matchup, they also had another player go down here for them and I want to make I'm going to I'm completely blanking on his uh, on his on who it is for a second here but I'll go ahead and I'll find it and that was going to be Kessler Walker Kessler excuse me so he ends up leaving after 22 minutes in a game where he was 3 of 5 had four rebounds uh eight rebounds excuse me four on each end of the floor had contributed six points across it it's not like he was lighting the world on fire I thought again the Brooklyn Nets were doing a lot of good things defensively in this game but All of those things added up combined with you being the Brooklyn Nets, a team that is trying to make the playoffs. And we know the Utah Jazz, again, have had a better year than anticipated. And if you want to go over and look at, you know, where they are in the standings after a better year, they are still a team that is sitting there in 12th position right now. Now they were, I mean, they are now just two games back of that 10th seat Oklahoma City Thunder. So this is still a team that has things to play for, right? But 90 5% of the execution in this game for the Brooklyn Nets was correct. So it really is disheartening that Jock Vaughn has to go back to all five starters, has to bring them back in, and you don't kind of get the reward for being a dominant team on both ends of the floor for the majority of this game and saying, hey, starters, you get to take the rest of the time off. And then ironically, you end up having to bring them back in because the bench surrenders enough of a run. I think a 9-0 run there that got the Jazz back into this game effectively. Then you bring the starters back in, and they end up being on the floor for the continuation of that comeback for the Utah Jazz. So certainly frustrating in that regard, but ultimately the win is the win. And we'll backtrack here and discuss the things that they did very well on both ends of the floor dealing with marketing. And then offensively, I think a mentality that is now starting to spread throughout this team. Before we do get to that, though, going to just remind everybody that today's episode is first and foremost going to be brought to you by PrizePix. We talked about this at the top of the show, and we get to talk about it with you again right now. That is because I said to you, PrizePix will give you an instant 
first time user match up to $100. So you deposit 100, you'll get 100, you deposit 50, you'll get 50. You understand how that works. The thing that you love about prize picks that you pick two to six players. And if they're going to score more or less than their prize picks projections, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's no competing against other people. Just you versus the projections available. We've used Mikhail Bridges as one of those sample sizes time and time again. Typically, you're going to want to go ahead and grab the over on his point projection because the league is not catching up to how good this player is going to be in Brooklyn. PrizePix offers projections on any sport you watch, and that includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball. You see how I'm listing every single sport, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and so, so much more. So it's safe and with fast withdrawals, entries can be made in as little as 60 seconds or less. Currently operating in over 30 states and our good friends to the North Canada. Download Prize Picks today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. If you deposit that $100, like I said, Prize Picks will match it up to $100. That's using promo code, all caps, locked on. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Now, the things that went right here for the Brooklyn Nets early in this game, we will discuss. But just to cap off what it means to get this win for Brooklyn, as we'll have the New York Knicks getting into action here coming up. They're probably just underway. Six o'clock tip off for them, or at least the coverage started at six. So New York's going to play here, and the Brooklyn Nets are two and a half games back from them. Now, we can secretly have this dream of maybe still pursuing that 5C. But most importantly is the Brooklyn Nets now put a two-game cushion between them and the Miami Heat. Really does feel like as the Brooklyn Nets are now 78 games through their season, they have just five more to play here. No, that's going to be four. I can do the math. Four more games to go here for Brooklyn. So you know, that's the cushion that you're most concerned about. We want to stay clear of those playing game scenarios where those one-offs can be frustrating. Now it's really about looking up the board and just pondering if New York were to lose tonight. Could the Brooklyn Nets push themselves and maybe get into that 5-4 matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that we know got blown out against in one game, and then arguably deja vu nearly repeated itself tonight where Brooklyn gave up the lead, gave up the victory, the last second missed free throw attempt that led to the make there for Donovan Mitchell and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Nets successfully avoid that in this game against the Utah Jazz. So, Back it up now, though, to this game and what I thought was the two key elements of the success they had early, even if it ended up being a much closer contest than we wanted it to be. 42-point fourth quarter for the Utah Jazz. They had 110 points in this game. They scored 42 of them in the fourth quarter alone. But early on in this game, what I really liked, and when you go to the box score now, after what happens late in this contest with all the free throws and the fouls and trying to extend the game a little bit, but a stat line that doesn't change is Mikhail Bridges. He got to the line 13 times in this game. He was not one of the foul trips that happened late here in the fourth quarter. 39 minutes, 9 of 25, not one of those ultra-efficient performances from Mikhail Bridges. Did not have the shooting stroke from beyond the arc, just one of eight. 
but 11 of 13 at the line. Kicked in seven rebounds, two assists, and three steals in this one. So another, obviously, solid 30-point performance from him. Three other players joined him in double digits, though no one else in the starting lineup crossed that 20-point mark. You had Cam Johnson giving you 18. You had Nicholas Claxton giving you 14, and Spencer Dinwiddie contributing seven. Now, as I said, Spencer Dinwiddie finishes five of six of the line. He only had one trip late in the sequence here as well. And then Cam Johnson, he may have had two. I want to say that it was only one in the closing sequences here. But those two players as well, seven of eight for uh, Cam Johnson, five of six for Spencer Dinwiddie. So those three players collectively for the Brooklyn Nets, when you get to the line 27 times across three players and you also convert on 23 of those attempts, right? You're punishing the defense for putting you at the line. But more important than that is the mentality, I think, that those three players brought into this game. It actually started with Cam Johnson, I thought, early in this contest. Again, 32 minutes for him, five of nine from the field, just one of two, only two attempts from beyond the arc. Goes along with his six rebounds and two assists. We've talked about this now when it comes to Cam Johnson and a need for him to be Yes, the player that you believe has defensive versatility, the guy that you know can be a knockdown perimeter shooter for you. But he has to have this other element where he puts the ball on the deck, attacks downhill at the basket, and punishes teams when he has opportunities to go to the free throw line. Today's game, eight trips in there. Now, over the last handful, it has not been nearly as much as it probably should be for him. And it's funny because 7 of 13 against Atlanta, but just 1 of 5 from beyond the arc. The way that you make that a better, more consistent stat line is by getting yourself to the free throw line. Could have been a 20-point performance from him. Go back to the win over Houston, 123-114. 11 of 18 from the field, so the volume was certainly there, but 5 of 9 from beyond the arc, and then 4 of 4 at the line as well, right? So when one element of your game isn't working, you need to be willing, ready, and able to lean into the other one. The Orlando loss, 1 of 5 from deep, and only one trip to the line in 26 minutes. This is where he kind of just coming out of that slump and what feels like stringing together a set of games that he is starting to get that rhythm and understanding. I need to be the both and player here, knocking down perimeter shots, creating off ball movement, being a facilitator in certain instances as well, picked up two more assists in this game and did have eight across his previous two contests combined, but he has to be the both and, and that permeated. Mikhail Bridges has already been doing it consistently, mostly because why this is another game where he was the best player on the court. The shooting numbers aren't necessarily there for you. But but again, we said against Trey Young, against DeJounte Murray, best player on the court that night was Mikhail Bridges. And the question becomes now, how many games throughout an NBA season will we be able to do that? Point to Mikhail Bridges and say he's the best player on the court. He did a great job getting at the line there, lived in the mid-range game. At one point, beckoned out defenders after knocking down a little mid, uh, mid-paint mid jumper was like, listen, fellas, if we're not going to come out and defend it, I'm going to punish you every single opportunity that I get here. And he did. And he did. Again, when you go back and look at his line, 9 of 25, you take out the bad perimeter shooting performance, and he ends up being a 8 of uh, quick 17 just below 50% from the field, right? So there is an element of it where at some point you'd like to see everybody, not just the Mikhail Bridges, but you like to see everyone. If the shot isn't falling from a perimeter, how do we make an adjustment here, right? Royce O'Neal, this is a bad night for him. He's been terribly consistent for us in a good way. Very consistent for us. Has an off night, right? It's an off night for Joe Harris. It's another kind of night 
for Seth Curry, who misses the late free throw in this one, both of his free throws, excuse me, that really could have helped ice this game away or given a little bit of of alleviation there. Up one, could have made it three, could have made a worst-case scenario overtime. So Curry struggles. Effectively, everybody, I mean, I'm not going to overpraise you to Watanabe for his eight-minute performance. Dayron Sharp gave you the seven rebounds in his 15. But those three players, Bridges, Johnson, and Dinwiddie, you have to be ready to attack down in the paint. You see what it affords you. It gives you the opportunities on the outside. Even if the looks aren't going, you need to be able to punish the opposition, especially a team like the Utah Jazz, who won we're thin due to injuries. Two are certainly, they do have some length and some size at certain positions, but they didn't have the quickness to stay with a Cam Johnson, to stay with a Spencer Dinwiddie, right? So you want to lean into those areas. The other thing that I thought they did an incredible job at here is on the other end defensively. Now, again, there were breakdowns you know, across the course of this game, but remember, this is, a, I said, a 42-point fourth quarter for the Utah Jazz. So you're talking about a team that was under 70 through three quarters. You know, you want to find a way to really clamp down and hopefully be able to look to bench players to finish this thing out. But nevertheless, the Brooklyn Nets did a consistent job, again, against a team that's missing some of their players, but didn't allow any one player particularly to go off on them. And I know we're going to go over and we're going to look at Horton Tucker and say 34 minutes, 12 of 25, three of seven from deep. He did. He did. He got his. But guess what? That's better than having Markinen, who ends up going eight for 21, one of eight from deep. We mentioned how Walker Kessler ends up leaving this game with the injury. But early on in this contest, I thought the smart thing that Jock Vaughn was doing on the defensive end was having one fronting Markinen so that you couldn't get the ball into his hands with ease on some of the switches. And then the second, the second, uh, excuse me, the off-ball defensive help, right? The second defender coming over. It wasn't blitzing a double team at them. You actually saw Seth Curry get in on this a couple of times. You saw the off-ball guards looking to come over as Markkinen was working down into the paint, working into the mid-range area of the court and saying, hey, if we can get our hands in there and be active, we can have a little bit of disruption there, create some loose ball opportunities, create some scrambles. So I thought that there was an intentionality around how they wanted to defend against the best options for the Utah Jazz. And then just saying, again, when we talk about Horton Tucker going 3-7 of seven from deep and almost 50% from the field, just realistically, when you come into this season, we understand that you know Horton Tucker is a guy who on the year right now is knocking down 28% from deep. He's a career 28% three-point shooter, right? So you're going to live with those results. And you're going to accept the fact that if Horton Tucker is going to be the high point man, you actually feel like you've accomplished something that you set out to from the onset here. So I thought that there was there was smart decisions that were made here. I thought that there was, again, some of the high-energy things that you want from Dayron Sharp and his small sample size. You get away from him. From Nicholas Claxton as well, who we'll talk about here in a second. Because the one other thing that I'm starting to dream on here is the evolution of Nicholas Claxton, which we talked about a number of times. but then also. How else can this team be successful, including a player like Dayron Sharp in these rotations, knowing that this team is still going to need to add some pieces to it? We'll get into that here coming up in just one second, right after I tell you about, you know it, the Bill Bar March Madness. 
Oh, this bad boy has been going on. The bracket is here underway and nearly over. We know you have your favorite bar puff, and now is your time to make it count. You go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorite. I'm going to be voting for, oh, gosh, this is a tricky one. I don't know. Maybe I'll go with the coconut. I think a coconut puff because it's light, it's airy. Love the coconut flavor, obviously. But you can go ahead and support whatever your favorite bar puff is. And then if you win, you know that you'll be voting for the bar that you supported. It's like rooting for the Nets to win the championship, only it's a puff bar or a built bar. And not only that, though, when you vote for your favorite bar puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of built. And not only that, locked on We'll also have one lucky fan win a 12-month subscription to Built, so you have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built. Built is the best protein bar ever. Seriously. You know they're amazing. We told you about them before. All of those great stats with none of the negative sides of candy bars, and that's why you got to get over to Built.com and to BuiltMarchMadness.com as you can cast your vote today for your favorite team. Okay, here's the other thing that I want to take away from this game, and and it's not to diminish the fact that the Nets should have blown this team out by 20, and it was way closer down the stretch, and we got lucky that it was Kelly Olenek with the ball in his hands. So be it. I chalk up wins. I don't look back. But the other thing that I started to really look at in this game, because specifically because it happened three or four times, was Nicholas Claxton and what is effectively the substitute for a mid-range jumper. It's that sweet little push shot. And he ended up having Claxton across 32 minutes, seven of eight from the field, only gets to the line once, does not take care of business on that one attempt. But I also mentioned gave you seven rebounds, gave you an assist, two steals, no blocks in this one. Ooh, that one kind of stings. And a 14-point performance. But if he can have what was a minimum of three of those little push shot floaters in the lane, You're now starting to see that coupled with the turning, facing up against the defender and taking him off the dribble, right? We've seen a couple instances of the shoulder dip to get around the defender, work the Euro step step and get at the rack. We've seen him be able to navigate into the lane when working off ball in tandem with the point guard and make himself available for those alley-oops. If he can just continue to evolve the offensive repertoire to include now two Two potential areas where with the ball in his hands, he can actually effectively go and score. Now, all of a sudden, you can start to call him a complete player at the five for the Brooklyn Nets because we already know the versatility he has on the defensive end. We already know the shot blocking ability that he showcases and the ability to be able to defend effectively one through five, taking guards all the way through the lane to the basket. And using, quite frankly, what we've talked about a lot this season, tremendous body control, athleticism, shows great timing, right? Able to impact plays without taking fouls. Okay. Still needs to make sure that he keeps improving at the free throw line. Something he has done in the back half of the season, but need those numbers to stay up. Then the other player that we're obviously seeing more of of late for Brooklyn is Dayron Sharp. And I just wanted to make the point the day run in 15 minutes again, just two of three, seven rebounds, got to the line twice, knocked down both of them. He continues to be very consistent at the free throw line in these recent contests when he's been given consistent run. I'm not telling you that he's getting there at volume, but outside of the Houston game where he missed the two attempts that he had, the other ones in and around this are the three for four performances. He went 
70% of the line in the month of March. If he can do the thing that we've seen very few times, but he has shown the ability to do successfully, the perimeter shot. Now, all of a sudden, I think that you start to envision a world where you can have Dayron and Claxton consistently on the court together for stretches, where you now have two players that can be disruptive on the boards, specifically with Dayron Sharp. You're just saying, hey, go do your job of being disruptive on the boards. Nicholas Claxton plays with a little bit more finesse at both ends of the floor. I, I think that, that that little tiny breadcrumb trail of growth is there for Dayron Sharp. And if he continues on that path, now I think you can see him sometimes playing purely at the five, maybe sometimes playing down at the power forward position. And that's not because he's traditional in that sense in positionless basketball, but because if, 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 if next season you're talking about a player that could average 20 to 25 minutes a game and average one to two three-point attempts per game, if he can do that with consistency, then defenses have to respect the fact that it's an option. And once you do that, you're drawing out one defender of the perimeter that you otherwise are not right now. And if you can do that, when Nicholas Claxton is on the floor, now all of a sudden you're creating the opportunities if Dayron Sharp is understanding and making that secondary pass, making the right basketball decision, now you can rotate that ball around the perimeter and find Nicholas Claxton for even easier looks in and around the basket as opposed to what it is right now. Highlighted at the top, the penetration from Bridges, from Dinwiddie, from Cam Johnson. That's great. And sometimes those easy looks at the basket are there for Nicholas Claxton when he's playing off ball. Dayron Sharp has actually shown and done a nice job. Dorian Finney-Smith is a really good example of a player that at, on offense, even though the perimeter look hasn't always been there for him, he plays on that little baseline area and waits for his moment, whether it's going to be for the layoff pass or just for an opportunity to crash in and potentially get an extra opportunity on the offensive boards. He shows a very smart veteran savvy when it comes to those type of opportunities. So this is the evolution specifically around Nicholas Claxton and his game. And now what we're finally starting to see is what the next step of De'Aaron Sharp's game could be. I just thought it was worth noting because again, I'm not going to belabor how close this one got, but I am going to pull out the things that I thought they did well in this game. And then the last thing that I will mention here in saying Dorian Finney-Smith's name is both he and Cam Johnson have, have really done a great job over the last handful of contests here, getting back to being impact players in their minutes and, and, and really just taking the moniker off of them being a negative, right? Now, Dorian Finney-Smith actually because Cam Johnson played to a, a negative on the plus minus. You're on the court there for the late run from the Utah Jazz. It's almost shocking that Mikhail Bridges is still a plus eight in a game that the Nets won by just one point, and he was back in there. The Nets came back in with the starters up 13, and they won this game by one point, and still three of your five starters were in the plus in Bridges, Claxton, and Dinwiddie. But Dorian Finney-Smith was doing a lot of nice things on the defensive end, a lot of the switchability. This is a good matchup for him in terms of not getting caught on a switch that's going to be detrimental in terms of keeping the player in front of you. We talk about it offensively for him, getting the ball on the perimeter, being able to put it on the deck and take a defender, as we've seen from Cam Johnson, as we see from Mikhail Bridges. That's not really in the repertoire for Dorian Finney-Smith, but he did a nice job, three of six from the field in this one, got to the line twice, knocked down one of them, just a rebound and assist but a couple of blocks in this game. So this is a plus matchup for him. And we talked about 
uh, Dayron like this over the course of the season and his development? We talk about certain players that maybe have plus matchups across the schedule over the course of 82 games. This was a good one for him, and I thought a, a nice little bounce for him here over the last, what, say three games where we've seen Dorian Smith play smart, effective basketball, knock down four of six from deep against Atlanta, just two of seven against Houston, just two of eight from the field. But but again, I thought that that was still a, a decent game from him across 27 minutes. He's clearly still a guy that's trying to find that rhythm, but hopefully he continues to round himself into a little bit of form because it doesn't look like in the short term that idea of getting Royce O'Neal into the starting rotation is going to be something you do. And we already talked about it last episode effectively because you don't have enough pure ball handlers here to be able to take Royce out of that second unit for big stretches. Other than that, my friends, we know the Brooklyn Nets will be back in action on Tuesday night looking to close out this season. We'll keep our eyes at the time of this recording, 32-26, towards the end of the first quarter, New York over the Washington Wizards. So doesn't look like it's going in the right direction, but were they to fall, we can continue to dream on that five seed. I, I think more than anything right now, all we're looking for is for the Nets to continue to find consistency. And that is why this fourth quarter is frustrating, right? Because even though you take all of the starters off the court in this game, you still want to feel like a Royce O'Neal. I mean, Watanabe, honestly, it's a little bit trickier. If <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. It's actually a little bit tricky to look at this. So the starters come back and we know what they can do defensively. But when I start saying like, ah, it's a little bit surprising that Watanabe, Harris, O'Neal, Sharp, Curry, you know, guys like this, Cam Thomas, it's surprising that some combination of those players couldn't hold this down. It's really not because Joe Harris is not a defensive player. While Sharp has his value, it's not like he's a switchable defender across the board. Nothing from Curry, nothing from Thomas on that end, right? So it really shouldn't be that shocking that a quarter like that can happen. But it's a really good reminder that for whatever we dream on this team accomplishing now in the short term, a game like this against Utah, you survived a 42-point quarter. I can name 28 other teams, 29 other, that could have put up 60 on this quarter, right? When you look across and see who you're playing against and see what they don't have, you really luck out with who you're playing in this one. So end of the day, a win is a win is a win, as we always say, and the Brooklyn Nets turn the page. We'll be back again tomorrow. Um, there's some really interesting stuff. NBA, uh, they, they've extended the CBA agreement all the way through 2027 with an opt-out for 2026. So we probably have some really good discussion points there just from a big picture view. And then I've got a juicy little nugget about what the Brooklyn Nets accomplished uh, at the trade deadline, moving on from their stars and how it actually has a very big, very big potential impact on what they can do this offseason. So that's going to be coming up this week in addition to all those post-game lives, which is why if you're on YouTube right now, we thank you. We love you. Thanks for being here. And also make sure you go and subscribe and tell other people to subscribe and turn on the alerts so you know when we do our post-game lives. You get us on the podcast feed as well. And as always, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote short of saying that I miss my friend and I can't wait till he's back here so we can keep talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.